Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name is Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my good friend Reese, aka Referees. And today we're going to do a little Kansas City pastiche. Do you think our audience knows what a pastiche is, Reese? Uh, it's probably that thing they see on cheeses, right? Pastiche cheese. <laughs> oh, this tastes a little pastichio. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't that that thing where you usually put like spinach and salmon and a bunch of eggs and you cook it in a pie crust? <laughs> Close, Reese. Yeah, so basically a pastiche, I took, just, just took it as an opera term. Nice, um, we're nice. basically just taking little bits from different parts of Kansas City sports and going to make it into an episode today because actually every single one of our sports that we specialize in, sporting, royals, and chiefs, we actually all have like pretty encouraging news. So we're going to break down just little things from there, um, kind of ending with chiefs unofficial depth chart, which there's a lot to go through there. As we all know, uh, preseason is just around the corner, which means that Fountain City Sports Media is going to start really focusing on the Chiefs. So hang on with us, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be dandy. While all that happens, you're going to see some fun memes on our Instagram that Reese has curated. Reese, tell us again about our Instagram account and maybe and maybe a little Patreon, perhaps. Well, our Instagram account is hopping bopping. Uh, we were under 100 followers before the month of May. And uh, I think it was by the end of May, we cracked into 100. Now we are closing in at 150. So thank you, everybody. No way. That's yeah, awesome. Yes way. So thank you, everybody who's enjoying our dank memes and uh, stonky content. You can find us on Instagram at Fountain City SM. So tell your friends if they like dank memes, like they like dank IPAs, come check us out at Fountain City SM. Now, for those of you that just can't get enough Fountain City sports media in general, I have good news for you. We have this thing called a Patreon. And on the Patreon, you can get access to premium content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive B-reviews. Now, where might you find that Patreon, you may ask? Our address is www.patreon.com backslash FCSM. FCSM, as in Fountain City Sports Media. So come check us out on uh, Instagram, social media, head to our, our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com where you can get links to all these bad boys. So never fear if what I just said you cannot hear. <laughs> I was just talking to a friend here and we we uh, share like, you know how like Instagram is now taking over TikTok or like vice versa. They're just like, it's kind of a cross platform. They're, now. they're assimilating each other. Yeah. So like I don't have yeah. a TikTok, but I share all these like funny TikTok videos from Instagram to a buddy of mine. So anyway, we're just like sharing stuff back and forth mm -hmm. and then he sends me this tiktok that makes fun of podcasts and how they'd like start their podcasts and it it's like welcome to blah 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 podcast make sure you follow us on blah 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 blah, blah and donate on blah 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 oh and here is our sponsor blah 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 like and he was like dude isn't this funny and i was like no this is exactly how i do my podcast without the ads and then we stopped talking for a while. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Him and I are funny, but good friends. But like, it was hilarious. He sent me that and he was like, isn't this stupid? And I was like, kind of, but like, we kind of need to do it. <laughs> yeah, dude. The only thing more annoying than ads and podcasts are bad ads and podcasts. That's why today's episode sponsor, adreal.com, only places the most pertinent ads in your podcast. <laughs> See how see how seamless that Dude, is. We would be it's real. Oh my gosh! Like it, like I've I've heard some like really crappy podcasts that will read off ads, and they're so bad. Dude, we would kill the ad game. They just don't know it. Yes, I'm looking at you. Um, that tushy toilet campaign that always is on like every single Kansas City sports podcast. Yes, I'm looking at you. ZipRecruiter.com. Give us a holler. Oh, man. The only thing worse than ZipRecruiter is a broken shirt zipper. That's why I'm calling my friends this evening on Hancock Fabrics. Oh, geez. I can't even do, I can't even do it. I was one for two. Reese, how how's your week been, man? How's it, how's it been going? Week's been pretty good. I uh, can't lie. Cannot lie. I had wedding number four of six this last weekend, which brought me back up to the state of Iowa. Oh, yeah. It's it's it it's this week's segment of what did Reese drink at his wedding? Uh, this week, Reese drank a cup of coffee because it was a dry wedding, unfortunately. So I had nothing. Oh, did you know going into it that it was a dry I wedding? I knew going into it, it was going to be a dry wedding. So 
Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Well, at, 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 at least you knew it was going to be, you know, it, it would suck if you didn't know. But on the bright side, it's not so much about what I drank at this wedding so much as my sister and brother-in-law from North Carolina were in town and somehow neither of them had ever had Tank 7 before. <gasps> so luckily, being the magnanimous beer fairy that I am, I had schlepped up some Tank 7 and some Whiskey Barrel Imperial Stouts to share with my family because we got like uh, a couple, they're like, condo style hotels so they were sort of lofted you know so we had space but we were all kind of in the same room etc 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 so we had just like a nice you know bonding time and they were getting in to enjoy my wares including america's number one belgian style american saison as well as whiskey barrel imperial stout <laughs> so it's not what i drank it's what others drank nice nice i love that wow i didn't know that it, this is this is your oldest sister younger right? sister actually Younger sister, okay. Wow, and they hadn't had take seven, man. Mm-hmm. Finally. It's, they have the sweet, sweet holy grail of Kansas City. Dude, absolutely. And it's funny, too, because he's like, yeah, I would have thought this was an IPA, which, you know, we do get sometimes because they dry hop it. You know, you don't get too many dry hop saisons, but yeah, I think it's funky. I think it's delicious, and they liked it, so I'm not mad. Sweet. And and wet, wedding was fun? You had a good time? Wedding was fun. It was... <laughs> I know everyone's going to be like, well, this is like the lamest comparison ever. It means nothing. But I think we were in the second tallest building in Des Moines outside of the Principal Tower. So, I mean, we were still 34 floors up. That's kind of cool, you know? So you could see, like, the oh. horizon of Des Moines in every direction. I think the Iowa Cubs stadium was three, four blocks away. So I got to just kind of, like, creep on the night game going on. You know, the Capitol was all lit up right down the street. It was a good time. Good wedding. That's awesome, man. Yeah, man. So so my parents were in town this weekend and they were able to see one of the shows. It was really cool. Um, and Glimmerglass actually gave me some time off so I can spend time with my family, which meant I can spend time in Cooperstown because I really haven't had enough time to like. Not that Cooperstown's big. I just hadn't. I really haven't had time to like hang mm-hmm. out. Uh, so I got to go to the Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame, man. Heck yes. What did you think? Isn't it awesome? I I must say it is incredibly impressive and you really wouldn't know like just driving down the street like it, it does look like a cool building but the amount of like holy grail I know I've said that twice already on the podcast but holy grail like memorabilia it's really impressive I was joking with my brother I was like hey I went to the baseball hall of fame and he was just joking around he's like oh is a uh, is Kurt Schilling's bloody sock there and I was like actually yes <laughs> it is there along with his sneakers or with his cleats and yep. he was like oh that's crazy. They have everything. And I was like, they really do have everything. They so do. yeah, it was super impressive. I mean, obviously the like Babe Ruth collection and a lot of baseball players that are from that time that I was unaware of, uh, they have a lot of memorabilia. We're talking like early, early 1900s. They also have um, late 1800s memorabilia, like from bats to, to gloves. If you can even call them gloves. I mean, it literally just like like a freaking like mitt like literally like an oven mitt is what they were using back in the day it's just wild wild so that was a lot of fun um some good jackie robinson stuff i actually wish they would have had more on jackie robinson uh but they actually had like a pretty cool display cases from there they had some casey monarch stuff which was cool uh what else they had um and then uh, like from the like steroid era i'm actually i actually really enjoyed they had a lot of like sammy sosa mark mcguire um Cause like that stuff's still cool. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. I remember growing up during like the Sammy Sosa Maguire era and like it just meant, you know, it, re- it took me back. Like I don't care about the steroid era. It was like as, as a child, I only remember it being so cool watching Sammy and Maguire go at it. Well, that's what's so dumb about it too. With all those steroid era players, they're like, you'll never be in the hall of fame. Now you're banned for life, but we're going to put up a display case about your home run year in 1997. So, you know, you're in the hall, but you're not really in the hall. And it's like, what's, they, what's they the have, point? They then? have once they have one sliver of Barry bonds. Like yeah. literally it's like this case and it's like the, it's like a third of a case. They have like a picture of Barry bond or a video of Barry bonds hitting number 72 or when he surpassed Hank Aaron. So like they're still acknowledging it, but they're not counting it. It was really weird. (laughs) But like just imagine if they didn't have like if the steroid error didn't happen, it would literally be a floor of Barry Bonds and like two floors of Maguire Sosa. 
Yeah, it's it's just so dumb. It'd be like if I was banned from like Kauffman Stadium and they're like, you'll never have a seat in the stadium again, but you're welcome to be in standing room. And it's like, okay, I guess you showed me. <laughs> yeah, yep. I mean, the Baseball Hall of Fame does need a little bit of a facelift, um, just like some quick updating. But yeah, I mean, if they really invested in all that, I think it'd be really cool. Uh, but no, I enjoyed it. I took some pictures next to um, like obviously Lou Gehrig, Mm-hmm. Uh, Babe Ruth's plaque. Yep. Who else's plaque? Um, you find George Brett. George Brett, of course. George Brett. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just like you know, just the standard players, which was a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. And then what was actually more fun. I don't know if you did this when you were Cooperstown. Did you ever go to the baseball card shop? I did. Yes, it's pretty cool. Yeah, dude. So, so my my dad and I went in. Like, I love baseball cards, and I grew up with them. Um, so I got a um, Panini Contenders NFL 2021 draft picks pack, which basically, like, if I would have pulled a, a Trevor Lawrence card from that pack, mm-hmm. I would automatically have like three thousand dollars worth of revenue from that. Oh. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. I actually did an Insta Live with our Fountain City Sports SM because the day before Bill Simmons did like an Insta Live of like opening a pack, and I thought it was a lot of fun. So oh, yeah. I did it. We had some people watch. That was fun. But uh, I actually got some good cards. But but yeah, I think before I leave, I'll probably get some more cards and maybe I'll do some more um, Instagram live revealing because it's always fun. You never know if you're going to be a millionaire from like a $20 pack. What was the best card you pulled out of a pack? Um, you know, there's one. Hold on. Give me a quick second. I got one card that has an autograph to it, um, but the guy is not that great. But if he yeah. like pans out to be the next like lawrence taylor then i'm gonna be great i actually have a rookie terrence marshall card which i think could be um valuable but the one i have is malik herring defensive line um for georgia i have like his autographed card and it's super rare like there's only a few of these that are made um like trevor lawrence has one too Mm -hmm. and some other people have one um but yeah like if this guy pans out malik herring i don't even know what team he's on but if he pans out yeah this this card could be worth a ton of money it's his real autograph you know, who was that quarterback that, like, the Saints drafted, like, really late? Remember, they had, like, a, like a fourth or fifth round quarterback. It's like, oh, sweet. I got New Orleans Saints quarterback <laughs> Ian Brooke. He's going to be a future backup for the future backup. I can't wait. <laughs> this, this card's value is five cents. <laughs> this card's value is your bike spokes. <laughs> yeah it's actually funny I'll, I'll i'll end it here but did you see the the uh, display at the baseball hall of fame where it's like the cards that that your mom threw away and then they go through a collection of like really valuable cards and why they're valuable do you see that at the hall of fame when you went i did not see that i thought it was taking a million photos of it yeah so it, so it, it's this they have this whole section of like you know the the most expensive baseball cards to like you know in each era so you have the onus wagner which is just sold for three million they have a cop they have a real one there which is pretty wild but they also have this uh this bike there and then they have what you were talking about the bike spoke yeah just to like make fun of people that because my dad used to do that too uh which is hilarious but uh that was funny that they did that Super cool. Not going to lie. I, th- I think we all did it at some point. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, it was fun time. Can't wait for more fun times. Uh, why don't we transition into some could be fun times. We don't know if it's going to be fun times. Let's talk about sporting and some goodbyes and some hellos. So we've already said goodbye to to uh, Busio. We've already said bye to John Luca Busio. Something we've talked about on the podcast. He is officially leaving, but we have some good news. We just signed, uh, I believe last week, Jose Mauri and Jose Mauri is a 25 year old Argentinian Italian midfielder. Uh, he holds dual citizenship in both those countries, Argentina and Italy. He spent six seasons with Italian Serie A, uh, where he competed with Parma Empoli and also with AC Milan. He was there for six years. So, I mean, oh, wow. this dude had like pretty good. I mean, he played with AC Milan. Like he played with Bo, Bo, Botelli out there. Like this isn't like, some random dude. So so we've given Busio to Serie A, and now we're getting someone from Serie A that spent six years with them, which is kind of cool. It's a kind of cool flip. Um, so anyway, he arrives after a two-year stint um, in the Argentina Premier Division where he played with Taleres de Cordoba. Uh, what's some more stuff about him? Oh, yeah. Mari is an Italian 
descent and he was on the um under 16 under 17 and the u21 youth international levels with italy uh he also played in uefa and the under 17 championship which was really cool uh yeah so he has a very good pedigree um he's played with stars you know serie a is a very good league we were you know we were just talking about how amazing it is that busio is going there now we're getting someone from there so reese once he arrives in Kansas City, I know it's still going to be a few weeks till this transfer really happens. Um, what expectations do you have for Mari? Is he going to start right away? And if he does start right away, is he going to be a big impact on the team? I hope he starts right away. And I also hope he's going to be an impact on the team for two reasons here. Number one, he played in Italy. Number two, he played in Argentina. Why is that important? As we've mentioned on here, Serie A is a very, very technical league. He probably had a great chance to hone his skills. You know, his fundamentals are probably great. Now flipping the coin and looking at playing in Argentina. As we all know, South American soccer is a very physical game. And what we definitely need on our team is a little bit of physicality, especially in that defensive midfield setting. The one knock we really had on John Lucabusio was the fact that he was a little a bit undersized. But if we got a 25-year-old here who has the technical skill of a European soccer player with the fire and drive of a South American soccer player, I mean, that is a gold medal selection we have in our midfield you know i don't know if you watched tape of him but you actually captured him perfectly i watched a a little bit of tape when he was on ac milan and he's exactly what you said he's a very technical player but at the same time incredibly athletic and i think some of the best things that i saw from him was his tackling was intercepting and his speed like that dude is speedy and exactly what we need in the midfield I mean I don't know how many times we've talked about this season how our midfielders and some of our defenders just can't compete when it comes to defending like we just aren't athletic on that side of the ball on the other side of the ball we are incredibly athletic and have great speed and great agility the thing that we're missing is these skills that Jose has like I was again I was watching his his stuff with AC Milan he's playing you know the best teams in the world and it looks like he is one of the most athletic on the pitch so for that to happen I'm very encouraged by him like I said tackling um, his speed but also his passing I was really impressed with his with his passing there was a few setups that he did that I was really impressed with um, on some of the film so that's something to really look forward to especially because sporting kind of prides themselves on being this aggressive team right always being athletic always trying to be fast and that's something that we lack on defense which is why we lose matches sometimes because we because we try to implement that system and it just doesn't work when when our guys just aren't as athletic for the like demands of Peter Vermees so this will be great to have Maori I, I'm very hopeful that he is going to be that type of player that can intercept the ball and then immediately have this transition offense that is spectacular that that's what Casey kind of prides himself on so if, if he can add to that list of you grab the ball and and you go this is going to be really exciting so fingers crossed man i'm i'm looking forward to it yeah and it's like you said if we can get him really going on some of those fast play, fast break plays on the offense i think it's going to be equally impactful on the fast break plays in the defense how many times do we say that our defense and our midfield are just awful in transition particularly when they have to play against space Mm -hmm. if we got a guy who's either going to dispossess you or knock you over going by because of his physicality it's going to make people think twice about trying to blow by him particularly in setting up counterattacks. yeah absolutely i think that's a really good point and i think both of us are pretty hopeful so why don't we give two thumbs up for jose maori and we'll see what happens we will keep you posted on how he does but again a good hole that needs to be fit i just hope that it's it's not like the two french players that we got that are kind of just like eh, this season <laughs> they're uh, fine i just hope it doesn't become one of those <laughs> they're fine but this guy's got a chance to be the best player on the defensive side of the field and i hope he knows that and i hope he remembers that and i hope he strikes that fear into the eyes of the opposition yes okay great so yeah again this is a pastiche that we are doing today so we are going to jump quickly into our next topic and that's the kansas city royals 
again, not a lot of great things to talk about with Casey, but we do have a couple things that we can talk about that we're hopeful for. Unfortunately, this is kind of like deja vu from last year's podcast that we were doing. Literally the exact same things. We were like, eh, not a lot of great things to talk about the Royals, but can't wait for next season. Uh, can't wait for all these prospects like uh, like Singer and Lynch and, <laughs> and Keller. Womp, yeah, womp. whoops. So I'm sorry if you get some um, some deja vu from our last year's podcast, but there are some prospects that we are hopeful for. And the two no-brainers right now is Bobby Wood Jr. and Nick Prado, who last month were promoted to our AAA team. And they are doing extremely well. I don't have their numbers up right now, uh, but all of you that follow sports know that these guys are doing incredible incredibly well and the reason why i talk about it is i wanted to ask you reese mm-hmm. um and actually while i ask you i'll look up their numbers so we can really chat about kind of how they're just blowing up triple a ball do you think i know we've talked about this the whole season uh but do you think this is the time that we would promote bobby witt or nick prado or both because of just trying to if you know if next year is the year where that we we're really trying to make a playoff run, and if we don't make the playoff run, then there's going to be some heads rolling. Should we put Bobby Witt and Nick in now to get the experience for next year's playoff push? Bobby Witt, I would say, you know what? Yeah, why not call him up soon? I think that he has a lot to gain because I think he's going to be a greater contributor on the defensive end than Prado's going to be. So I would like to see Nikki, or excuse me, I would like to see Bobby start getting some reps at shortstop or second base in lieu of Nikki Lopez. Uh, Dayton Moore just came on the radio a few weeks ago and he was talking about how they're not giving up on Adalberto Mondesi, but they've basically come to grips with the point that he might be a luxury player going forward and they don't expect him to play a full season. They're like, if we get him for 90 or 100 games, that's a bonus. What that says to me is, it's time to start reshaping the infield how you think it's going to look next year. And that to me says you can play Bobby Wood Jr. at his natural position at shortstop where he's most dynamic, move Nicky Lopez to second base, maybe take Whit Merrifield to third. And at that point next year, you're looking at, well, do we want to move Salvador Perez to DH in first? Do we want to keep Carlos Santana and have him play first? Or is Prado going to come up and wind up taking first base? So, all this to say... I would like to see Bobby Wood Jr. since I think he's really shown a lot of improvement even after some setbacks this season. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely agree with you there. We are going to have to juggle where people are currently, and that's that's a good problem to have, right? It's a good problem for us to kind of figure out, like, how are we going to split time with all of these players? Reading it off really quickly, though, so Bobby Witt right now with the uh, Omaha Storm Chasers, our AAA team, he's batting two ninety four. Mm. He has 24 home runs. I think this is total with his two teams. Sorry. 24 home runs, uh, 17 doubles, almost 100 hits already, 64 runs, slugging percentage of of 586. Wow. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And then we go to Nick Prado uh, this year as well. Batting average of 277 um, on base 399 mm-hmm. uh, RBI 60 home runs 21 and with only 292 at bats. Uh, he's also at 81 hits. So, like, these are some solid numbers, guys. For those of you that are keeping track, I mean, these are definitely two guys that I would expect to see next year. If I had to promote any of them, I guess I would say Nick Prado just to keep... Like, like we know Bobby Witt's going to be great. He's been great in every single team that he's been on. And we, we've we talked about that from spring training to double-A to triple-A. Like, there has been no there has been no um, downturn of his talent. In fact, he just keeps getting better and better, which shows you that the progression of him is going to be great. So we know he's going to be good. I would say we we should wait on Bobby Witt because we don't need him to quote unquote develop in the major leagues. Like once he comes up, it's going to be some freaking Fernando Tatis Jr. stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's ranked the like second best prospect in the MLB right now. So look like he's the real deal. I think Nick Prado's the one that, uh, that we really need to see play 
in the MLB to play in the big league to see how he does to really have him mature and then we figure out where to put him look we we don't need to like figure out how to split time right now because we know we're not going to make the playoffs so put him in you know put this guy in let, let's see him play see him play at first base and we'll see what happens uh, another guy I want to talk about actually is MJ Melendez, who I had no idea who he was before the season, but I mean the amount of buzz that this dude is getting is is great. He was also promoted to Triple A ball in Omaha after he absolutely destroyed Double A. So when he was with the um, Arkansas Naturals at 22, he was hitting 285 on base percentage of 372 with 28 home runs, which actually tied the most home runs in the, in the minor leagues. All these dudes can hit the ball and M- MJ Melendez is a catcher. Look, we don't know how long Salvi's going to be here, but I think this is a perfect segue post Salvi. I like MJ Melendez. I like the future he has with the team, particularly as an heir apparent to Salvi. You know, we've had a few catchers come through, like Cam Gallagher and Drew Butera, who we thought might wind up being the successor to Salvi, but, you know, just wound up being kind of the relief dudes for him. As I mentioned earlier, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether or not we keep uh, Carlos Santana next year or if we're going to try and flip him at the trade deadline when the time comes. Because if you do... Salvador Perez is not getting any younger. He's on the other side of 30 now, and we've all known for a long time, he is a very large individual for playing catcher. I mean, those knees cannot be doing any better than they were the year before, and they won't be doing any better than the year before. That's a good point. So I don't think it would hurt next year, while you still have at least half season to Carl Santana. Start Carl Santana first base or DH now that Jorge Soler is gone. If he's on first base, once we trade him, move Salvador Perez after the halfway point, to full-time first base and have Melendez start taking over behind catcher, provided everything seems to be, you know, progressing as hoped for. That's just my two cents. What do you think of that plan? You know, I I think it would be better to put Salvi at DH and then somehow get like Nick Prado or someone else at first base, even though you're right, like we're not sure what's going to happen with Santana. Um, I think it, the more the more youth we can get in this lineup that is valuable youth, the better it will be for the Royals. Like it's not going to hurt our playoff push if we have some sem- semblance of Melendez, Witt, and Prado on the team next year. Like they're not going to be replaced by someone better, if that makes sense, right? Like we can still make a playoff push with all three of those young players. In fact, like, like we've seen a ton of teams like, like Tampa Bay. We've seen the Cubs when the Cubs were really good. Like we've seen all those teams have these like incredible young players that do their job really well. So I think we have it, the more young, the more youth we can put it there that is value, the better. So I would say put Salvi at DH Melendez at catcher, Bobby at short, Nick at first. Okay, I dig that. I dig that. Do you agree then with the concept of having Salvi start the season at least behind catcher so Melendez can get kind of half a season, you know, of relief of Salvi and then move Salvi to DH and have Melendez come and catch? Yeah, and and this is really like honestly, I'm I'm cool with Melendez taking like the Cam Gallagher role. You know, like Cam Gallagher mm-hmm. is still really valuable to our team and would be valuable to a playoff team. So even if it doesn't pan out, right, where like, you know, Salvi is the catcher, you know, for the playoffs or like for the majority of the season, I think that's fine. But having MJ Melendez as that Cam Gallagher Gallagher position where we know, you know, we want to keep this longevity of Salvi so he'll sit out some games during the season and MJ like splits time with Salvi. I think that's the best solution. Um, but having him as the Cam Gallagher role, uh, having Melendez in the Cam Gallagher role, I think would be optimal and would be great. Do you know what else would be great, Reese? What's that? A beer review. So why don't we review a beer? Also, wait, I just saw one. It's time for This Week in Craft Beer, the segment of the podcast where we talk about a story going on this week in craft beer, and we also review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. This week's story 
is kind of a national story, by which I mean it's affecting people out in the coasts, it's affecting people in the Midwest. We are, of course, talking about the supply chain. Everything in the supply chain is just going all wishy-washy crazy right now. Today's story comes from a local news outlet in North Carolina. They are talking about how local breweries out there in particular are having a hard time with the supply chain and getting their malted grains. And as one person they're interviewing says, when you have two out of three elements you need for brewing, it's very, very frustrating. Uh, I know locally some of the breweries out here are having some issues, not just with the grain, but with getting glass, with getting cans to put their products in. And that disrupts more than just making beer. That disrupts your ability to make money off of making beer. Armando, have you seen anything or heard anything out where you are in regards to the supply chain and beer getting mixed up? No, I mean, now that I'm kind of out of the like craft beer industry currently, I haven't, I mean, I would if I was in the industry right now, but no, I haven't really heard much. I mean, the supply out here is just kind of your standard beer. There's not a craft bottle shop or anything I can get beer anyway, but uh, no, I haven't heard much. Well, I know that the supply chain in general, I mean, everything from microchips for the new MacBooks, you know, to microchips they're putting in vehicles. I mean, a lot of the car lots in Kansas City are actually almost empty just because they can't get new product in. So it's crazy to think how it's affecting so many different things. I mean, it was toilet paper, what, a year and a half ago? Right. You know, it was lumber just a few months ago because the price of that was like four times what it's normally worth. And it's just, it's so weird to see it affecting particularly malted barley in this regards and not something like hops, you know? You think hops, something that's already kind of in scarcity and high demand in the best of times would be the one that's a little bit faltering at the moment. So that's about all we're going to talk about this week in craft beer story-wise. A bit of a dry week, so to say. But now, on to something completely different and five times more delicious. Armando, for the third week in a row, you'll be leading us in a beer review. What beer will you be sipping on today? Today, I will be sipping on an old favorite. What's that? The Hopnotic Nerve IPA from Free State. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. Have you tried that yet? No. This will be my first time. Oh, man. Okay. That's that's so awesome. I'm looking forward to having you try this IPA because my parents accidentally sniped one of mine thinking that I brought it for them. And they're like, wow, oh, no. They're like, this is a delicious beer. So many notes of, well, I'm not going to tell you what notes of, but uh, it turns out they're like hazy IPAs. Go figure. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. Getting all cultured up in here. While, while most of America is transitioning to seltzer, <laughs> now the older generation is transitioning into hazy beers. Yeah, dude. It's just... You know, it's it's so chew here, Armando. I, I cannot wait to try new things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually hope that that becomes a trend. Like, like the like thirty plus people out there are like, you know what? We're gonna be anti chewgers <laughs> for those that say chewgy. We're just gonna like craft beer. Chewgonomics, bro. So I had not had this beer when Jordan came on and talked about Hopnotic Nerve. Um, so I'm excited to try it now because uh, I was unable to get it. Uh, but of course, trusty Reese was able to snag it for me. So now I have it here and I am ready to give it a go. All right. Well, for those of you who have never listened to one of our podcasts before, we do review our beers with a special patented five point system. We're going to go by five categories being Appearance, aroma, flavor, mouthfeel, and aftertaste. And with each of those categories, Armando is going to stop and give a 1 to 10 rating subsequently. So first is last, Armando, I've seen you getting that bottle open without a bottle opener. Good on you. Pour that bad boy in a glass and tell us what it looks like. All right, man. So I just poured this baby into a glass, and we are doing, uh, what are we doing, aroma or appearance? We are doing appearance number one. All right, appearance. So the appearance on this, so this is a, this is a hazy IPA, um, but it's actually pretty clear. Um, it's not too, trend, or it is translucent. Uh, it's a really nice gold color, good head on it as well. But you can actually see through the beer almost similarly to a West Coast IPA. So I'm pretty interested as to um, how it's going to taste. Although it it is um, very see-through, it has the 
like hops of something that's going to be incredibly hazy. Uh, notably, my favorite hop, hop, the Nelson hop. Mm-hmm. There's Nelson Mosaic and Amarillo in this. So Mosaic and Nelson, a very featured hazy hop, but then Amarillo is like a traditional hop, which you'll get in those West Coast. So, so yeah, it's a good color. I can't wait to try it. How about a seven point five? Seven point five on appearance. You know. I do agree with you in regards to the translucent nature of it because, like, it is like the flavor profile and the hops in there would suggest hazy IPA. But again, it's kind of like, is a New England IPA a hazy IPA and is a hazy IPA a New England IPA? Like, which is the umbrella term? Because that thing, like you said, is relatively amberish and pretty clear. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess. Uh, New England would be the closest thing, if not the same as a hazy IPA. Um, but I get, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it could be semantics or maybe there is some sort of definition as to like, if it's New England, does it mean that it's more translucent and less hazy as a hazy? I have not done my research, Reese. I've always thought New England IPAs to be more along the lines of, again, milkshake IPAs. You know, the ones that are like, you need a straw to drink this practically. But that is neither here nor there, and I'm not going to get us hung up on that. we got to get Jordan back on the podcast and have him talk this through for us. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, category number two, aroma. What does that delicious Nelson Hop-induced beer smell like to you? Yeah, this is this is very fruity. Um, you get a lot of pineapple. You get a lot of like citrus, almost almost orange. Um, not too much grapefruit. I know grapefruit's a common a common smell that we get in these, but uh, I actually do not smell it. It smells predominantly sweet to me, as opposed to like a tartness or a sourness to it, uh, which I like. You know, I love I love the sweet beers. Uh, so smell I love. How about a nine point one? Oh wow, jumping all the way up to nine point one. That's pretty good. Okay, so then category number three on this flavor. You seen it? You smelt it? Now taste it. Oh yeah, it's great. Um, predominantly, I get melon, like almost cantaloupe ish. Mm-hmm. That's very nice. I also get pineapple, just like I smelled. Slight grapefruit. Now I get some of the the, the tartness um, of like a very citrusy beer, some some orange rind as well. But again, yeah, I think the predominant two flavors to me is melon and pineapple, which are very fun flavors, very smooth. So how about a 9.2? back-to-back nine ratings on this. Now, you mentioned melon in there. Isn't melon a pretty common note to get alongside those Nelson hops? I think so, yeah. A lot of time with Nelson, I'll attribute to pineapple, but I think pineapple and melon are so similar. Um, Pineapple, to me, has more of a predominant sweet taste where melon... Um, I hate to be like cliche, but melon is more mellow. Uh, (laughs) It's like it's less sweet, definitely more of this like fruity taste without it being, you know, immensely sugarized, which I get with pineapple. So most of the time I associate it pineapple with Nelson. Uh, But yeah, very similar, just like less sweet and more. I don't know. Yeah, more fruity without being sweet, I guess. All right. Works for me. Now it's time for category four. Mouthfeel. What is the mouthfeel like on that delicious melon pineapple IPA? Yeah, so just like just like I said for the for the taste, I said the taste was light in character. The mouthfeel is pretty light in character as well. It still has a great carb to it, which is nice. So you get that crispy, but it's light. Um maybe a uh, no, actually, no, I'll talk about that with aftertaste. So, so yeah, mouthfeel, you know, pretty light, um, pretty light and crispy, which is cool. Yeah, I, I think I, I would have expected it to be more of like a fruit bomb or like flower bomb with these with this profile of hop. And I'm wondering whether the Amarillo hop kind of like smooths out the, you know, dankness of the mosaic and like the like sharp, sharp flavor of the Nelson. Because yeah, it just it is tasting really mellow to me, which is nice. I I not that that's not a negative thing. It actually is a, a pretty nice combination of hop. So with a lightness and crispiness, which I do love on beers too. How about an eight point eight? 
All right, light and crispy, feeling good, feeling good. Well, now it's time for category number five, which is aftertaste. Do the fruit notes on this beer tricks your tongue like trick cereal? <laughs> uh, no, actually, the aftertaste. Now I get the dankness of possibly that Amarillo. Now you get that like burn. You get that. Um, you, you get more of that citrus rind that I kind of felt on the beginning, but now it's very prominent on the end, uh, which is which, which is good, too. I, that, that's something that I enjoy. It's something to kind of spice up the flavor. Of course, you want some of that dankness if it's so clear, if it's so clear of a beer. Uh, so, yeah, pretty good. How about uh, 8.2? All right, 8.2. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Some of my favorite IPAs are the one where you get like the fruity notes up front from the hops, the herbal notes up front, and then when you breathe out is when you get like the hop dankness of it. That's just mm-hmm. that's just fun for me. That's the full experience. Yeah, it's it's really similar to like o- Odell IPA. Oh yeah. Um, that has a similar like if you get that flower bomb on the front but then it's incredibly dank on the back. Who else has that? Yeah, no, that's actually, that's a pretty good comparison of style. Well, again, to the surprise of no one, we have unlocked the sixth secret category, BDQ, as in, by dog, quickly, I have to tell people a BDQ for this beer. Big stonks drinkability quotient. What is it, Armando? <laughs> I think that was the longest BDQ acronym you've done in this year and a half. Yeah, I, I guess I think they like beforehand <laughs> and not just on the clock. There's not a whole lot of Q words. <laughs> I know we're, we're we're definitely running out in the dictionary. I mean, we've done enough of these that yeah, we're running out of. Uh... <laughs> I've, I've got a new one. I've got a new one. BDQ, which stands for boy dump it in the quixotic dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do not want to touch that quixotic dumpster if you're referring to like the one right by the Denny's. Oh, I'm, I'm referring or, to... The- there's no longer a Denny's there. Oh, is it gone? Is it really gone? Oh, we said that. It's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Weird stuff happens at Denny's. Yeah, no more Denny's. RIP. No, this is not something that you would put in the garbage can of quixotic. This is actually, this is a wonderful beer. It kind of all, <laughs> like I was saying, I mean, it, it, it's a very nice fruit bomb in your mouth because it's not like too fruity. It's not too floral. Uh, it does have that balance. Like I said, the predominant melon makes it a little less sweet, which, which then helps you focus on those other hops like the Amarillo um, or getting some of that grapefruit from the mosaic. Um, so it's actually a really unique beer in that sense. And I know it's, um, this isn't the first hazy, um, that free States done, right? They have a bunch of them, don't they? Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I know they have, uh, they got storm chaser. They have Yakamania. I don't know if they have any hazies off the top of my head though. If anybody else knows, don't get mad at me. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely don't want to like put words in Jordan's mouth, but um, definitely a progressive beer for them and, and they, and they do the style really well. So hats off to free state. Hoptic nerve is great. This would be a fun, like, like disc golf beer. This oh. would be a fun, just like hanging out in Lawrence beer. You know, like if you're doing bar hopping, this is a great beer just to get at free state. So for those of you out there, do me a favor and get this on tap. This is wonderful. How about a Straight up 9.0 Ooh, for BDQ. Dude, anytime somebody throws a 9 BDQ, that means it's a good beer. It's a good beer. So if you haven't, it's time to hop on it. The Hoptic Nerve IPA from Free State Brewing. Thank you for that wonderful beer review, as always, Armando. Yeah, dude. Makes me miss Casey even more all the time. And I'll, I'll, I'll be back in a few weeks, which is wild, man. But yeah, I'll be back in a few weeks. We'll have some beers. Have some cheers. This week in beer slash the beer review. And now we're back to an even more exciting, dare I say, more exciting than the viewer's choice best section of the podcast. We are going to talk about the Chiefs because it's that time of year where we talk about the death chart. 
the Kansas City Chiefs had have put out their unofficial depth chart for the 2021 season. And there's a lot to talk about here, actually. There's a lot of significant stuff. So why don't we start with the uh, with the most pressing uh, and the most controversial of all. At quarterback, we are starting number eight, Anthony Gordon oh, yeah. over Patrick Mahomes. What do you think about that, Reese? Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like the hydra thing where you cut off one head and two will join kansas city loses a gordon therefore we have to have another gordon take his place so i for one welcome the reign of our new quarterback gordon lord all right thank you for uh, listening to our podcast make sure you subscribe and uh tweet tweet what we just said out what what if we did that what if we just like said the stupidest things that are like not real on this podcast about kansas city sports and just made them like five minute episodes uh you know jeez it might get us traffic if people don't know it's a fake <laughs> you know, just, we get like four thousand followers in a day oh my gosh yeah <laughs> we all sold our dignity for clicks are you guys feeling bad about your dignity? <laughs> Every time I do, I go online to my favorite website, DignityFinder.com. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, from Reese's fake ads, we will talk about real news here at Fountain City Sports Media. So yeah, a lot of great things about this depth chart. I think one thing that stood out for me, Reese, was our defensive line. I mean, just looking at from left to right, we have um, starting defensive end on the left side, Chris Jones, which is a surprise, you know, from what we talked about like a couple months ago. Now it's now it's looking. I mean, this isn't like special, you know, nickel package or like, you know, this is the standard. This is our standard defense that he'll be um, at left end at right end is going to be Frank Clark. And then filling in the middle is going to be Jaron Reed and Derek Nandi, which I think both of us didn't call. I don't think either of us had predicted Nandi making that. Um, before we talk about the depth, actually, let's talk about Nandi. Were, were you surprised to see that him filling at a <laughs> defensive tackle on the right side? Uh, you know, it's the whole thing about like, don't forget about Dre. Uh, don't forget about Nandi. Uh, I, th- I don't think anybody was talking about him entering this season. I think when we both gave our starting four across the line, what was it? I had Taco Charlton in there, and I think you had Tershawn Wharton. But yeah, I had Tershawn. But Jeepers Creepers, the fact that Derek Nandi just shows in and kicks down the door and says, "No, I am the right defensive tackle." Good on him, man. Must be showing some good stuff in camp. I don't think we can trust like this particular depth chart because everyone is so flexible on our defensive line. Like, like for example. Taco Charlton is on the third squad of that of that right defensive end like he's 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 the third um, on the third team which like isn't true right because Taco Charlton's going to be playing in different in different roles throughout the rotation but this is also a testament to we're incredibly stacked. I mean, we have Tim Ward, who was a standout in week 17 last year, right? Like we were talking about Tim Ward making making the first squad last year. And now because we have so many great players, he might get cut. I mean, we haven't heard a lot of buzz about Tim Ward, so that's pretty crazy. Joshua Kindo, he's he's doing really well. He's uh, he's above Tim Ward on the, on the depth chart, which actually is impressive to me. Um, but Reese, how how excited are you now? I mean, I know we've talked about the offensive line, but we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about defensive line. I mean, looking at Chris Jones, Reed, Nandi, Clark, Okafor, Wharton, you know, Saunders, Dana, Kando, Charlton. Like those are all players that we've seen successful at some point. So yeah, how are you feeling? I am uh, Schrodinger's emotion right now, by which I mean I both am and am not excited about this defensive line. It, I think the actual talent level is a big drop-off outside of Chris Jones, even to Frank Clark. And then after Frank Clark, it's a bunch of players that the Kansas City Chiefs know and love their potential. I'm not sure it's a bunch of players that the rest of the league fears their potential. Like, we know what Derek Nadi and Kalen Saunders and Mike Dana are capable of doing, but it's the question of can they do it consistently? I know everyone's going to be sick of that. Be like, Reese's take is that you got to be consistent. Well, guess what? You got to be consistent. Because, you know, let's say hypothetically Chris Jones goes down. Is Alex Okafor going to do anything but be a league average defensive end if Chris Jones goes down? I don't know. I hope he does. Same goes for everybody else in the second and third string on this defensive line. So 
I'm optimistic that if everyone plays to their potential, this is a pretty deep pass rush, but we saw last year, even with a lot of these returning names, the pass rush was eh, about 74 degrees Fahrenheit. A little bit too warm to be sleeping on it, but a little bit too cold to be comfortable. Yeah, again, a common theme that you and I had last year was our defense only has to be average for us to win the Super Bowl. Um, and then unfortunately, our offensive line just had to be alive and then that didn't work out. So that didn't really count last year. But I think it still reigns true this year is like we, we just have to put up like an average season defensively and with this revamped offensive line. And then of course, having the goat, you know, we're 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 going to be fine next year. But to your point, we know who Okafor is. We know who Nandi is. Oh, yeah. And, and we know who Taco Charlton is. Like, all those guys are not going to, like, have a huge jump in their career. They're already, you know, years into their career where, like, you're right. If any of these guys go out, they won't be standouts on the team. I think there's still question marks into their ceiling for four players. For Wharton, for Colin Sanders, for Mike Dana, and then for Joshua Kando. Like all of these guys can have a breakout year, right? Uh, I don't think they all will, but one of them is likely to. Right? And I'm looking at Tershawn Wharton. Like Tershawn Wharton has a very, a very high ceiling in my opinion because of what we saw last year. So if Tershawn Wharton shows he can come play, if we have Tershawn Wharton, you know, beat Nandi at some point in in squad one and all these guys knock on wood stay stay healthy don't get into legal trouble and i'll leave it there uh this could be a very nice defensive defensive line especially in the playoffs which we saw we really need we really need pass rushers i think the league is is changing i I think that's why chris jones is also changing to edge rushers we're seeing a good team has a good offensive line and they have really good edge rushers and i think Chiefs are just trying to go with the times. Chris Jones is great, and he's proven to be really good in training camp at at, at Edge Rush. So we'll see, homie. Okay, moving on. Moving on, let's see. We'll touch this quickly because we've talked about it before. But uh, this kind of... Um, this kind of solidified it for me. So Mike Remmers came back. He's back from injury, but Lucas Niang is still above him on the depth chart. Um, so something to kind of look forward to. We were saying that Lucas Niang was in there because Mike Remmers was injured, but now Mike's back. Mike is back and, and Lucas Niang is still our right tackle. So Reese, um, does this change your mind about Lucas Niang? Do you think he's the real deal or do you, he's still kind of this big question mark week one? Well, my big question mark on all of this is not necessarily is he the real deal, but it is why is Mike Remmers listed as the backup left tackle right now? And I say that both in sarcasm and in concerned seriousness. (laughs) We all saw what Mike Remmers does when playing left tackle. So is he honest to goodness the backup left tackle should, heaven forbid, Orlando Brown go down? Or is Lucas Niang really both the starting right tackle and the backup left tackle? By which I mean Orlando Brown goes down. Do they swing Lucas Niang out to left tackle and maybe plug Mike Remmers in at right tackle? Because it's definitely not Andrew Wiley. Andrew Wiley's not going to be the backup left tackle. Yeah, that that's a pretty good question because we've seen Mike Remmers at left tackle and it's not great. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, it's he's not. definitely a liability. So there's something that they see in Lucas Niang that maybe he could be um, versatile in that respect. He could play left or right. Um, he hasn't played though in spring, uh, or I mean in camp of playing left tackle, but Hey, we don't know behind the scenes. We don't know what he did, you know, during the COVID year. I know he, he was in shape. I don't know what type of drills they told him to work on. But it's very likely, you're right, it's very likely that Lucas Ding is actually that that left tackle slot, and then they put Mike Remmers in at right tackle. Because, yeah, I don't think Wiley is over Remmers if we do a pecking order. Um, I still think Remmers would be, you're right, that like second squad team where Wiley would be the third. Um, all to say, I mean, that's still a really good second squad with Remmers, Allegretti, Blythe, LDT, and Wiley. I mean, obviously it's not the best, but it's like... It, it was our super like, they got us to a Super Bowl at least <laughs> most of those guys so yeah. um, I'll I'll take that man so we'll obviously follow that story all year long but man again like we talked about last last week Brown Tooney Humphrey Smith and Yang incredibly young core for like the next decade backup Mahomes Jeez, 
Jeepers. Jeepers is all I have to say there. Um, okay, moving on to a not so Jeepers, but in the bad way, actually. And it's been a problem and we really haven't addressed it. We've kind of addressed it. Uh, but it's it's our lack of depth with defensive backs with with our DBs. Uh, right now, it's looking like it's going to be Traverius Ward and Sneed. Um, and then Mike Hughes playing that like third cornerback. And then Dirty Dan and uh, and the Honey Badger out there on safety. Uh, notably, we have rookie, undrafted rookie, Devin Key is backup for Tyron Matthew right now. Reese, should I read into this at all? Or what is it just because we really don't have you know anyone there? But Devin Key is already over Armani Watts. Now, we, we know we don't really like Armani Watts, but still, that was pretty quick. So what do you think? Uh, yes, I have no idea. I, I'm kind of shocked and surprised that Devin Key would already be the second string Tyron Matthew, particularly this soon in training camp being an undrafted player. I, I Like you said, we don't like Armani Watts, you know, so I guess if anything, Devin Key's floor is probably Armani Watts, wouldn't you say, slash hope? Uh, yeah, I'm more yeah. so su- <laughs> I, I'm more so surprised that Juan Thornhill isn't starting and Dan Sorensen is currently starting. But I mean, all that can change. You know, Thornhill's still kind of getting over that ACL. I've heard he looks like he's 100 percent physically in practice. But oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, if Tyron Matthew goes down, suddenly we're looking at another case of 2018 Chiefs where we have nothing to substitute in for Eric Berry. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, it's something that we've always talked about. It was my biggest concern in the 2020 preseason is what are we going to do at defensive back? And we again, we never really solved that problem. And we were really hoping on Juan Thornhill, yet his injuries uh, plagued him. And it seems like they've kind of plagued him in spring and in training camp. I mean, we haven't really talked about Juan Thornhill in training camp. There's not a lot of buzz there. So I think that's why you have Dirty Dan if we are in a two safety set. Um, um, I think it, it really, you know, when it's not a two two safety set, I think it's Honey Badger, Dirty Dan, and then Juan Thornhill is that like third if they're just playing a single a single safety set, uh, which is fine. Like, and, and that's kind of what we did last year. So uh, it's it's unfortunate that there is no like progression of Juan Thornhill. You're right, and I'm just hoping he's not that type of player that he just always get injured. So I'm really crossing my fingers there, and I think it's fine. And I think it's cool to have Devin Key as like technically in that in that one safety set you have him as your as your fourth safety fine i think that's great um one thing that i actually don't like from that cornerback set is um deandre baker is technically their would be their like third cornerback or even less than that like bo bo pete keys is ahead of him and then chris layman's is is also a cat ahead of uh deandre baker i know deandre baker had injuries but like he was kind of a standout in those games that he's had playing time so i was kind of upset about that how about you reese do you have any baker buzz or it's kind of like whatever for you um, I'm a little bummed that Baker is currently sitting at third string on the depth chart. I mean, we saw him in that week 17 match against the Chargers. He showed a lot of promise and potential. Maybe it's the fact that they want him to get some more game time and they want that broken leg to heal up more before they trust him at even second in the depth chart. But I mean, looking yeah. at this, we have two first round draft picks in DeAndre Baker and Mike Hughes in our quarterback stable so I am very excited to see the potential here everyone's talking about how thin they are at cornerback I think this cornerback group is very similar to our defensive front group just with a different coat of paint basically you know it's like what I'm saying is is that beauty is in the eye of the beholder here and like you said our pass rush looks very dangerous and I countered that point saying it looks very dangerous if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan you know they can do as an outsider looking at a death chart, you might say well it's pretty thin I think it's the same thing with this cornerback group. I think as a Chiefs fan, I'm looking on here and I'm saying, well, Legereus Sneed is very good even as a sophomore. DeAndre Baker, Hughes, and Bo Pete Keys potentially have a lot to bring to the table here. But if you're an outsider looking at this group, you're going to say, who are all these scrubs? But as Chiefs fans, we know what they are. We know what they can do. It's just a matter of can they go out and can they do it? 
<laughs> well, I mean, I I have never liked Traverius Ward. Of course, we've seen flashes of like Traverius being great. I don't know how many times I've texted our text chain saying like, I love Traverius Ward now because of like X, Y, and Z. Uh, but I'm kind of over him, man. I'm kind of over the Traverius Ward train. I would love for it to be at some point for it to be in a in a two cornerback set. It's need in my cues, you know, bearing injury. And then it, at some point, DeAndre Baker taking that Trivarius Ward or him being this like third cornerback that we have. I think Baker and Hughes have the best ceiling against Ward or Fenton or Layman's. Uh, and then Snead obviously is our best corner. Like Snead is just going to have a great, he was playing extremely well already uh, last year in 2020. And then of course in camp. So man, if at the end of the year, if we can get Snead Hughes and Baker in stride, then yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be an incredible defense. Like there, like we, we definitely, there, there is nothing here that says we're not going to be undefeated next year. There are no like huge holes. I'm still concerned about our defensive backs, but it's a pretty good team, man. Pretty good team. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, as we have a lot more content coming for you. Uh, we could have some interviews down the line. So, uh, so stick with it. A lot of great stuff, but in the meantime, yep, this is, uh, Reese and I. Reese, anything fun you got going on this week? What do you got? Oh, not a whole bunch going on fun, to be honest, truth be told. I'm just dancing here because we're just that much closer to watching the Kansas City Chiefs' first preseason game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Sports Media.